Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, the debrief, the post-match audio show, cheering the fat on Northampton Town, Neil, Accrington Stanley 1. I'm Tom Reeds, and today joining me are Wallach regular Mai Maloney, local democracy reporter and big cobblers fan James Avril, and cobbler supporter and sports journalism student Aidan Boyer. How are you doing, guys? You all right? Yeah, probably better better than I was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um, not the best result and not the best performance. I'll go to you first, Martin, actually. Um, did you see a reaction from the defeat to Oxford City in the FA Cup yesterday v Stanley? This was, I mean, this was really what I was desperate to see. I mean, I think um, Brendan made a really good point, I think, on both after the Oxford game on and on we, um, or Friday night, um, that we are losing the cup to a non-league side. It's kind of a thing that happens. It's not the most important thing that's going to happen this year. The most important thing is the league. We're going into a, a run of teams that, a run of games against teams that we need to be doing well against because we're probably not going to beat teams at the top. And maybe that really poor performance defeat at Oxford City was going to galvanise us. Sadly, no evidence at all of that. Um, we were we were put, we were cut wide open um, early on, conceded the goal. We had a couple of half decent. You know, half decent efforts. Um, Hoskins up a bit unlucky for a couple of um, free kicks. Um, but on another day, we'd have lost by a lot more. Um, I thought Accrington were excellent. What what concern? There are so many things that concern me at the moment um, that feel feel wrong. We've talked about the the centre halves. I think every 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 podcast we've we've done. Um, We've not really changed the the tactics there. We don't seem to have a there's a, lack, a, a real lack of leadership. Um, nobody's kind of firing them up. You know, we've gone one 0 down. Let's let's go after it. Let's go get it. It was it was the worst possible thing I think to follow up that Oxford game that says not that Oxford was going to be a turning point in the season where people realise right we're going to have to battle to say it. It feels like we were victims. We're, we're waiting for stuff to happen. Nobody's taking charge. We, you know, we will shuffle the personnel about, but the the atmosphere, the the vibe amongst the team seems kind of the same. Um, I'm very, very concerned about about what's going to happen over over the next few weeks. And um, yeah, I, I do think it's um, time for some. Some soul searching about where maybe where as a club we want to be. Um, you know, it's very very easy to call for the manager's head. Um, very expensive and potentially risky to make changes. Equally, carrying on the same probably isn't an alternative. Something's got to change um, if we're to to make a fight of staying in this league. Yep, that seems a level-headed, you know, summary as usual. Martin, uh, you know, we, we talk, we'll talk about it a little bit in a minute, but, you know, changing another manager, is it, you know, it's a chicken and egg thing. Do you need to look at, at like wider themes within the football club? We've gone through quite a few managers, um, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's bring James Avril in now. Um, James, how would you sum up that defeat yesterday? Um, are you sort of concerned as to the result and the performance? It was a concerning performance, definitely. If you're looking 
uh, responses from going out of the FA Cup to a non-league side, then the first two minutes yesterday is not what you want to see as a response to that. Um, the first goal, as has been so many of the goals we've conceded, was almost comical in terms of just the sheer amount of space that the attacker had to create a chance. And, you know, it was an easy one-on-one. Um, so, yeah, if you're looking for a response, that certainly wasn't it yesterday. Um, again, similar to the Oxford game, we didn't really have a sustained period of pressure. And that's been two games in a row now where it feels like we've been second best throughout literally the entire 90 minutes for both of them. So that is worrying because, you know, under Keith, we've, we've always had spells of, of pressure, mostly through kind of like getting, you know, crosses in and, and things like that. But we're not even having that now. So it, the, the performances, as much as the results, are, are a big concern at the moment, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. There is a fair amount of time to turn it around. That's one thing that Keith's got in his favour. But then conversely, you might say you've got to set your stall out early in this league and sometimes things can snowball, especially in a little negative way. But I guess we'll see. Let's bring um, Aidan Boyer in now. Um, Aidan, we had like one shot on target yesterday. Do you think that's like good enough for you know a, a League One side or a side that's trying to have a reaction from the Oxford game? Well, not at all. And this is the point I was going to bring up anyway, is that you know we, we go behind so early on. And what, especially in the second half, he's looking for some sort of reaction. You're looking for the players to really sort of go for it. You're looking for a lot more chances created and everything. And yeah, one shot on target all game, which came in the first half. And um, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, I'm not saying it was a lazy performance or anything, because I think that's a bit unfair on the players. But at the end of the day, it just felt like there was nothing. It felt like it was uh, just, you know, Appington came here, did exactly what they wanted to do, and we didn't react at all today. It was just, I'll sort of pass it around a bit and, you know, try and hoof it up if we can. But it wasn't, there was no sort of spark there. There was no creativity. It didn't feel like we were ever in the game, despite only being a goal behind for 88 minutes. It just felt. Like, you could already see what was going to happen as soon as the goal went in. Oh, we're not going to come back from that. And and we didn't at all. And, you know, it's exactly what um, Accrington deserved for the win. And they could have got a lot more. And, yeah, I mean, it's just no reaction at all from Monday and no reaction after the goal either. It does make you worry when we concede, if we can ever get a, a route back into it. You know, we do a prediction league and I'm always sort of struggling myself to find goal scorers from the Northampton ranks. Um, apparently, you know... Well, I think it's Sam Hoskins is our top scorer with about three goals. We're struggling to, you know, hit that net, hit the target. And obviously goals are the basis of winning games. And it's something, one of Keith's fundamentals we're struggling with. Let's move on to the the only goal of the game. Scored, worst possible start, scored by Jonathan Russell. It was a good finish, actually. I thought the finish was pretty good. But to leave in unmarked was pretty criminal, wasn't it, Martin? It was... Um, who was marking him? It was uh, Watson, wasn't it? Watson had his eye on him, but he completely lost him and then let the Chelsea loanee run through. Right. Yeah, and I think um, the way that they seemed to set up, and, and God, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no tactical expert, was kind of one right up with Russell, I thought was far and away the best player on the park. I thought he was he was awesome. They'd done a great job getting him on, in on loan from Chelsea, but... I think sometimes when there's three at the back, and it's a criticism I was listening to, I think, on the Guardian football podcast from Jonathan Wilson. When you play three at the back, if players only play one right up, it can really confuse you because it leaves two players effectively um, underemployed. And I think they caught us a bit cold before people picking up those runs right. But it shouldn't have been something that was unexpected because as much, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, the management are probably as aware as aware of our frailties as as others, but it it was just you know too similar. It was a nice run, nice run from deep, but should have been tracked. And you've got a spare, you've got a spare man in the back three. There shouldn't be that. You know, it's one thing if he goes down the channel, you know, going down a channel away from goal if you get some space, but what? when you're effectively arrowing in towards goal, that's absolutely a tactical failure by um by our players. And I think um. You know, as I think James was was saying, once we go behind, it never feels like we'll come back into it. And hell, when we're level, it always feels like if we concede first, you know, we're going to be knackered. And it, you know, they at least didn't let, let us, um, you know, hope for too long. <laughs> sadly, 
<laughs> yeah. James, would you, obviously you'd hope for us to be a bit, the Thumpton to be a bit more, you know, live to that sort of threat so early in the game. You've got to be switched on early in the game, don't you? You just, you just entered the pitch. It, it, there was a, you know, he's a big guy, Russell, running through. He's not some sort of little guy you could, you know, lose track of. Watson just looked around, looked over his shoulder, but then that movement, that surge through, he completely missed it. And so, James, yeah, just a real sloppy one, wasn't it? It was. And, and you know, two minutes in, we've conceded. We know we're struggling for goals at home. Is it four or five of the games we've drawn a blank in now? It's one, one, of, the, one of the two, Possibly, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we've not scored at home. So as soon as you're 1-0 down at the moment at six fields, you, you, and it, it seems to be translating to the players a little bit, you do almost feel like it's game over already. And mm. certainly once we conceded that goal, after only two minutes, I thought, well, it's going to be very difficult to win the game now because we're not scoring lots of goals. So two minutes in and you're already almost resigned to not winning the game. So you think, okay, well, we can at least, you know, try and get the the equaliser and and see what comes from it there. But there was no there was no threat at all, really, was there? Um, we had Hoskins hit the post, yeah. Um, and Ricky Holmes went through a couple of times, but they were both offside, and that was about it. And the most concerning thing is the fact that, as we've said throughout the podcasts for for the last few games, as soon as we go down. Um, it looks a tall order to get back into it. Mm. And that is a very worrying characteristic for your team to have, especially when they're shipping goals of the nature that we are at the moment. Sure. And there just doesn't seem to be too much creativity in this side. Like Colbara came in on a pretty, pretty hot street, looked very creative, bit of a non-league hot shot, just showing something different. And he's he slipped out. Um, Williams in the midfield have a bit of dynamism about him he was in for one game hasn't been seen since played at uh, wing back wasn't he and he's coming back from injury so he's you know a dynamic player that we're missing um, Aiden Sam Hoskins for me seems to be doing a lot of the work for Cobblers at the moment and you know he always puts a shift in bless him you know he's not always the best finisher but he puts that shift in do you think that you know the rest of the players could learn a little bit from his work ethic Oh, for sure, yeah. And it's crazy to think he still feels like quite a young player, but he's one of the more experienced players, at least from a Northampton perspective in that team. You know, he's been here for so long now. And it's crazy to think that he's sort of the one that's leading this team through. You know, last year he was one of our top scorers. And and I know that, you know, he gets quite a lot of uh, unwanted criticism from a lot of our fans because, you know, every now and then he'll have a few rough patches. But at the end of the day, he is still one of our better players, one of our more talented players. And Really, I think a lot of the players need to look at him. You know, he's been here for five, six years and sort of go, right, that's, you know, what we're looking for in, in a player. And we need to sort of learn from that. Because obviously a lot of these players have just come into the club the last few months. And it just sort of feels like uh, a lot of just sort of headless chickens running around, you know, not, it feels like they still haven't gelled together despite it being almost December. And um, yeah. yeah, they can definitely take a look at him and uh, sort of learn from him. Because obviously he's exactly what you want from, from a player in this team. Yeah, he just seems to have that ability to carry the ball a little bit. And like we said, he he works his backside off pretty much every game. He's always a solid 7 out of 10 and just seems certain players. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going through the motions, but it just seems to me, yeah, a like little bit of a lack of dynamism. I'd point to Watson, who I think is a really good player, but I just think, in, you know, he's a bit of a... He's not doing too much at the moment. The central midfield, for very weak, I think. You know, the, I said before that the centre backs get a lot of stick, but w- what's actually coming through the centre of midfield, there's, there's not a lot at the moment. Um, in in comparison, let's talk, you know, a bit more positively about some players for Accrington. I thought that um, Charles up front was a good presence. Um, John Russell, we talked about from Chelsea, and Joe Pritchard, I think he came through the ranks at Tottenham Hotspur. There were three players of quality and strength as well. Um, Martin, did you see, did you sort of sense that Accrington was slightly stronger than this as well, and maybe a bit fitter? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that is again a, a really concerning thing. I mean, Accrington are probably the archetype of doing the, doing the best you can with with what you've got. You know, perhaps yeah. you know the, the the whole being greater than the the sum of the parts. And yeah, you've absolutely nailed. You know, the likes the likes of Dion Charles up front. I thought he he worked his socks off. Never gave defenders like a moment's peace. Um, and yeah, I think that. 
they seemed fitter, quicker, stronger, which I don't, it's possibly not a physical thing. It's more just a mindset, perhaps, that, you know, because as much as we get down about the Cobblers losing, being part of that squad and, you know, putting, you know, that's your that's your living, your livelihood, and it's going badly. You know, I know what it's like when, you, when you're working and you're not enjoying it and you're getting down. You know, that's going to be the same for those players. And I think Aki are just, you know, a team who kind of know their limitations, but make make the best out out of everything. And yeah, it does it does seem that physically we're at, you know, other than having a few, you know, three big centre halves that, you know, should be adding a bit going forward, we don't, you know, we seem a little weakened teams. And you're absolutely right, Ryan Watson, I thought he finished the season, especially in the playoffs, so strongly, but he's not really been the same the same player. I think Sowerby has been a good addition, but he's probably wondering what he's let himself in for. Mm, yeah. I'd I'd agree with that one. Um, yeah, it just felt that that they had just a, that little bit more. Maybe it seems a bit strange to say, but League One experience. We don't really think of Accrington Stanley as particularly an established League One club, but they are. They are now, and quite clearly, Andy Hull, who we spoke to on the Wallet podcast, is a is it's a talented guy. He's a self-deprecating guy, but he he sort of lives and breathes that club, and the attention to detail is fantastic there. And there, he told me that their budget is not even under half the salary cap. So to assemble that sort of team with that budget is pretty amazing and sort of maybe puts Keith Carl to shame to an extent in, you know, in that regard. Um, James, do you think that, you know, it's uh, an excuse to say that Keith Carl's, you know, squad acquisitions aren't particularly up to scratch or do you think that, you know, you know, is it an effort problem for Northampton? What would you put it down to or combination of things? problem as such in that the players are clearly hugely lacking in confidence and that will always even yeah. if you're putting in 100% effort that will always have a massive impact it's strange because I think one thing he probably couldn't fault uh, Keith well, uh, throughout his time here was his player recruitment if you certainly compare it to the period we had when Andy Melville was the um, was the so-called scout that we had um, the player yeah. recruitment last year was excellent you know we got in some experienced players who knew the division had had lots of uh, experiences of promotion in that division. You know, you look at bringing in uh, Nicky Adams and, and Alan McCormack. Um, you know, who, who regularly been winning promotions as, as players. You look at the recruitment yeah. this year, and it's not been well. Clearly, the, the proof is going to be in the pudding at the end of the season. But on the surface of it, so far, it's not been uh, up to scratch in terms of the usual standards that Keith has set himself, I would say. Um, it's strange because I looked at the players that we were signing and I could see why we were signing them, but there was always an element of, of risk attached to them. You know, the, the lights yeah. are full. You know, on paper, you see, you know, had similar experience to Charlie Good in terms of playing a couple of seasons in non-league, things like that. And you think, right, well, we can have kind of like a similar trajectory but it's a risk signing a player who has not played at that level before. And a lot of the players, even the experienced ones we have, like Ryan Watson, have not played at League One level before. Yeah. And it's starting to show at the moment. We'll see mm. whether they've got the ability. You know, every, teams do go through tough periods. So I think we do have to take that into account. But what you want to see is you want to see how they react when the chips are down. And at the moment, the reaction we're getting, if I'm honest, doesn't bode well for the rest of the season. But you just hope that there's a spark or, or something uh, that will finally get that reaction and we can start you know, progressing a little bit. But I have to say, it doesn't bode well at the moment. True. I, I, I sort of wonder whether, because we were wedded to such a strict and constricted style last season you know it was, it was successful but we were drilled in a, a one particular way of playing and and I just wonder that now Keith is trying to sort of expand it slightly and try and change whether the players are I know it's a fairly new team but whether the players are able to change to a new a new way of playing and, and and whether Keith is a good enough coach at League One level to play a more expansive style and I'm going to go to Aidan and talk about the pitch a little bit because it's been getting a lot of stick. And uh, I listened back 
this morning to some of the Accrington Stanley commentary, and they were talking a lot about the pitch. They, they were basically saying that we need, uh, you know, Accrington need to try and play it around Cobblers, and they'll, they, you know, eventually they'll win because they're a better football inside, and they were complaining about the pitch. And I think with some credence, really, because the pitch is cutting up badly. But a few seasons ago, it was well known for being a really good surface, and Keith Carl is choosing to train the um, first team on the you know, the main pitch at Sixfields um, rather than Moulton. Aidan, do you think that's a good idea? Um, well, I understand, you know, where he's coming from. If, you, if you're playing on that pitch most days of the week, you should be able to play well on it, you know, in a, on a match day. But it didn't really harm us before training elsewhere. And, I'm, you know, the majority of teams do train in their, in their own, you know, academies or, or wherever else, you know, usually not even on grass, usually on, you know, on AstroTurf pitches. And so I don't think it's actually too much of a difference regardless. Of course, you know, you're going to get that sense of this is where we're playing on match day and everything else. But, I mean, it's not been consistent whether it's been working or not working in recent years. So I don't think it's yeah. really too important. Obviously, the negative of it, of course, is that it's going to um, ruin the quality of the pitch. And, you know, that's just not going to help us. But at the end of the day, like I said, you know, we sh- if any team's going to be comfortable on our pitch, it should be us. And yet we still can't seem to play very well on the pitch that we seem to, you know, play on pretty much every day of the week. So, but then again, you know, talking of pitches, you know, that that came up on uh, Monday night saying, you know, one team wasn't used to the pitch, but, you know, a lot of players and teams said that, oh, it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. You should be able to play on any sort of pitch. So, you know, it it can be a factor, but it really shouldn't be considering, especially if we're playing on it, you know, five times a week and then match day, we really should be uh, used to it by now. Yeah, there's obviously positive and negatives in terms of performances and stuff, but I just think, personally, I think it's a, a no-no to train on the on, on the main pitch. Um, you know, in established groundsman circles, it's it's pretty much a no-no. Um, you you probably won't find too many teams in non-league doing that. Um, my granddad actually was a groundsman, wrote a book on groundskeeping, and I was speaking to my dad about it the other day, and he, he was he said to me like, "Where where are Cobblers training at the moment?" And I said they're training on the pitch at Sixfields, and he was like, "You're, you're kidding me." He's like, "You know, back in the fifties." That was frowned upon. Um, Martin, do you think that stuff like training on the pitch and, you know, the club's infrastructure, physical infrastructure in terms of its facilities, maybe is something that, you know, the owners or, you know, the club needs to focus on in the, in the years ahead to try and work out why we're a team that doesn't really stay in League One for very often? I think it, it would be hard to attribute us doing badly to, to, to that one particular thing. But I think no, no. as a wider point, though, I think I think you're right. The infrastructure, you know, have we got have we got the right training facilities to get the best out of what we have? And, yeah. you know, the fact that they've I mean, what's the reasoning for going back from not using Moulton to using the field? That's not a forced thing. That is a choice thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, Keith Carl has been in, you know, quoted that, the training pitches are still being, you know, tinkered with over at Moulton. But let's not let's not forget, like we would privacy issues as well, wasn't it? Because it, Moulton obviously is open; anyone can just come up, go up and watch. So I think that was an issue as well, wasn't it? I re- seem to remember reading. Yeah, but I think they moved to some pitches that were a bit more discreet, out of the way. But you know, going back in, back in it the, makes the, us sound that, like a dogging team. I <laughs> <laughs> right, pretty much are, mate. But you know, but people do go and watch training. That is a thing in in, in espionage in football. The thing, as we saw, I think it was with Derby, was it? Or whatever, there was a problem. Yeah, but, Bielsa. Uh, yeah, so they moved back to some you know pitches out of the way. But going back in time, you know, Kelvin Tom Thomas is quoted as saying that there were problems with the drainage of the pitches. And let's not forget, we moved into Moulton, I think, in 2016, maybe slightly earlier. And now it's 2020 and they're still tinkering with the pitches, you know. James, that can't be right, can it? Like, you know, still having problems with training pitches all these years later. Yeah, and it does point to that, like like you say, that lack of, I guess, a long-term vision, really. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about training pitches for as long as we've been talking about the East stand, you know, and harking back to the Cardoza days. And, it, it, you know, until... Until an owner takes the ball by the horn and goes, right, we're doing this. Um, it's not going to change in, in that respect. How much impact it has on the day-to-day performances. I think if you speak to a lot of footballers, they say that, you know, that the training facilities are important. Um, I think Tim Oglethorpe mentioned on the radio, didn't he, that he'd had a conversation with Keith Curl at the Oxford City game. And Keith was quite jealous of about the facilities at Oxford City. So... Um, I think, you know, it, it, 
it does have an impact, but I don't think it is the root cause of, of where we are at the moment. But as you allude to, it's, it's that kind of longer term vision that, that you have for the club that we just never seem to have, do we? It's always It always seems very short term. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's a good point for me, because I, I really think the football club is at a crossroads and we'll go into, you know, Keith Curley and Keith Curley out. Um, but I just think that Cobblers really are at a crossroads now about what club, as Martin said earlier on, what club we want to be post-COVID going into the next 10 to 20 years. Um, do we want to be like a club that farts around in League Two? You know, it was probably OK to do in the big money era, maybe a few years ago when money was thrown really uh, freely and clubs were all, you know, on a even keel. But now the with the sort of financial climate shifting in football, um, are clubs with like a 5,000 attendance like Northampton going to be really secure going forwards? I've had discussions, you know, behind the scenes on maybe regionalising football or some clubs going part, part-time or whatever. I, I just think that cobblers have got to be kicking on now from those 5,000, 6,000 gates to, you know, I think uh, Lincoln are up there, seven, eight, nine, you, you know, nine to 12,000, maybe pushing it on a bit. And you look at Posh, who are building a new stadium, I think it's about 19,000. Luton, similar. We've got clubs all around us that are just kicking on. And I think Northampton really has to have a plan in place to see where we want to be in the next few years. And that does include stuff like training grounds. That does include stuff that are going to keep us in League One and push us on. Because our, our approach seems to be just sack a manager and hope for the best. And, you know, it hasn't it hasn't worked, basically. Um, I, I, I think you make a really good point there, Tom, because I think, you know, for a lot of people, they see things in a very simplistic way of, uh, you know, no one who's a very few people who are professional football managers are bad managers. Yeah. It's like they, there's a reason they're getting paid to pick teams and we're just chatting about it on a podcast. But ultimately, you have to set people up to succeed and things like training facilities that we don't really see as supporters. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, you know, Curl, I'm sure, is not telling people to train badly or training on the pitch because he's. He's stupid. He, he's having to make choices in the kind of circumstances he's in that are far from perfect. And you just, I suppose I, I would wonder, you know, how many other things around the club are potentially like that that mean, that mean that, well, you know, if Keith turns it round and stays or someone else comes in, they're going to be sort of hamstrung by the yeah. by the same, the same things. As you say, it's that long term, you know, you, you made a great point with Peterborough and Luton, you know, clubs, you know, not so far from here, that are, you know, are really, you know, driving forward, you know, in terms of not just success on the pitch, which I think is is often a success on the pitch isn't something you can guarantee. It's some, it's an outcome of good processes. Sure, yeah. And I wonder, you know, they're, put, they're putting that legwork in. They've obviously done that in better times. And now with COVID, because the football club's income will be way, way down. And that's the same for everyone. Now, ultimately, if there's less income around football all over, all it, I think the big effect of that is that wage, player wages will go down, which, you know, unlucky for the players, but there's still the same amount of people playing football. We'd, we'd still get to watch the same people. Yeah. But what they're, when it, you talk about capital investment, well, actually, if you, you know, you haven't got too many, you know, if, you're spending, if everyone's spending a million pound a year on wages rather than two million, ultimately, it'll end up being the same. The players just aren't as well paid. But if but the capital costs of a training you know training ground and other other bits of investment stands don't go down, so you're then having to do those with with less money. So you know that that is a, that is a worry that we've almost um, what was was it Gordon Brown or one of the chancellors saying, you know fixing the roof while the sun shines is pretty important, and no one yeah. could have seen COVID coming, but it does mean that things that cost cost money as opposed to players actually are going <clears throat> are going to be more difficult to do. And, you know, I, I fear, you know, we may have, and possibly for good reasons, we may have missed the boat where, you know, Posh are a very well-run club. I think Luton, despite, you know, still being at the kennel, you know, they've got they've got good ideas. We, you know, that's going to be tougher for us to do in the future. But the alternative isn't, isn't a good one. Yeah, yeah. I was speaking to Andy Hart, you know, quite extensively. And, he told me one of the first things he did was look at the training ground and facilities and, you know, building 
building from the ground up. And I think, like I said, and, and James has alluded to, the, the club needs a post-COVID plan for the next 10 years. And Andy Holt was on the team coach yesterday. He's he's the you know the main man at Atkinson Stanley and he's implementing his plans and trying to build for the community. And I just think that we need we need from Calvin Thomas and David Bauer what their plans are. But I haven't we haven't heard from Calvin Thomas for a while. He's quite quiet at the moment. I don't think we've ever heard from David Bauer about what his plans are. Um lives in the UAE, I think. Um yeah, it just needs just needs the club just to think about where it is now. And it if they put the right processes in place, it might lead to less chat about the terrible style of terrible results or the you know sacking yet another manager so to think that needs to be looked at let's move on to the Keith Curl out you know scenario stroke subject um it just seems to be growing a little bit more on social media I keep an eye on social media it's not the be all end all there's a lot of cobblers fans that will be happy with Keith and we'll give him time um we put a Twitter poll out is Keith Curl under pressure NTFC on NQ NTFC and came back 75.6% saying that yes it's a cutthroat business and Keith Curl is under pressure considering the results and just a general terrible football um, let's go to you James it's not a nice thing but let's be realistic this is how football works and I noticed that Bristol Rovers fired their manager yesterday and they were actually hiring one place higher than Northampton in the league do you think Keith Carl is under real pressure now? I think he's under pressure um, to get results. And, you know, I will say Kelvin hasn't been shy of firing managers if he doesn't think the yeah. results are, are up to scratch. I'm personally yeah. in the not-out camp at the moment. I don't think... I think firing him at this stage, if you look at it on paper, is, is a harsh decision. Um, and I also think you do have to consider the current pandemic uh, and that's going to be forming a, a big part of of kelvin's thought process i would imagine yeah uh, in terms of whether he makes that decision the, the reason i'm not in in the keith car account and i will say is that I, I i do feel like yesterday was the day where a, a few more of the more patient cobblers fans that i know started to get angry uh is what i thought but i'm not in the out camp Purely because we do have two fixtures uh, coming up, which I think will determine to a large degree uh, where we might be going this season. So we've got Burton and Rochdale, the next two games. Yeah. Two of the, yeah. the, all the teams that we've beaten so far this season are below us. There's not many below us, but we've beaten them. They're two teams who are also below us. I think what I want to see is a reaction from the manager in terms of changing the tactics because i think i think pretty much the fan base as a whole as, as a big majority now would agree that the tactics aren't working at the moment so what i want to see from a manager now is flexibility and a willingness to admit that his preferred approach at the moment is not getting the results that anyone wants and to me going to four at the back given the injury to to Mills seems an obvious thing to do. I mentioned yesterday about playing players in their positions. Um, and, you know, we don't have sufficient wing backs at the moment to play that system, in my opinion. We just don't. So what I want to see from the manager over the next couple of games is a willingness to try something new. It might not necessarily come off, but I want to see him just try something else. At the moment, we are doing the same thing over and over and over again. We're playing five at the back. We're not keeping clean sheets. We're letting in goals. We're letting in stupid goals. And to me, it's just insane to keep doing the same thing over and over for me. So I'm not in the Keith Curl out camp, but I do want to see over the next couple of games to see some form of creativity from him to try and change the situation that we're in rather than keep doing the same thing and hoping that it's eventually going to come off. Because I don't think it is at the moment. I don't think we have the personnel to play his preferred approach at the moment. James, I completely agree with with most of that. I'm not 100% sure that we've got the wing backs to do you know, justice to Keith Curl style of play at the moment. And a move to a back four makes a lot of sense. You've still got a lot of flexibility with a back four in terms of what goes in front of it. So let's see what happens in the next game. Let's go to you, Aidan. Um, I was, we, we were putting stuff on Twitter about, you know, the curl out because it's all very, very well saying 
curl out, but who would you bring in to replace him? So I was looking at a few of the out of work managers online. Um, there's some very good out of work managers. There's people like Danny Cowley. You know that would be a big ask, I think. But he's a he's a really good manager. Paul Cook, again, Paul Tisdale had his time, you know, in the Sun for Exeter and perhaps less so for Milton Keynes, but he's a useful manager. Graham Alexander, Keith Hill, I've always been a very big fan of. Always, you know, does really well. Gets uh, teams playing very well. Sol Sol Campbell. So there's a lot of good out of work managers on paper, but you know the resultant question from that is there's three questions one would they want to manage Northampton Town so would someone like Paul Cook realistically want to come to Northampton when he's looking at higher level clubs even Danny Cowley's the same for him can the club afford to dispense with Keith Cole services so especially in this COVID period can we afford that that outlay and you know three could they do a job with the team Keith Cole has produced so Aidan for instance like Danny Cowley looks a brilliant wouldn't be a brilliant acquisition on paper do you think he would ever come to Northampton well this is the problem I, I don't think he would I mean you know like like you said there is some great uh, managers out of work and there always seems to be around a time that we're looking at potentially getting rid of a manager the issue is and we've had it in the past is that there's no like we discussed earlier there's no long-term plan or long-term ambition for a manager to to look at us and sort of go that's the challenge I want to take up I mean, we, we yeah. were very lucky in League Two when when Chris Waller decided to take the challenge and you know keep us up and go from there. But in this situation, you know, I, I think you know there's quite a lot of clubs getting rid of managers, and I think there's other clubs out there for managers who that you know there's a bigger uh, bigger goal there. You know, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, we're out of out of a manager, and I'm sure some of them managers you mentioned would rather go to a job like that, and there's a bit more of a a challenge on their hands in a higher level. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, there's no no real long term plan for a manager to come in and uh, say, yeah, that's the right right job for me. Apart from you know the the goal of keeping us keeping us up. But like like you said about the uh, about the squad issue is that you know the Kells Broin all these players and you can't expect a new manager to come in halfway through a season um, with a whole new squad of players and, and suddenly work wonders. It's just not going to happen. No, I guess you could say that another manager, especially managers of those um, that I've mentioned, the talent of those that I've mentioned could perhaps bring us in and keep us up, maybe push us up the league a little bit and it's not beyond the realms of possibility. I think I'll bring Martin in, but do you think that sometimes attracting a manager of the calibre of Cowley or Cook is linked into what we talked about before, perhaps a lack of a, um, you know, short to medium term plan for the football club? Because obviously when a manager comes in, Mine to be interviewed you will ask the manager questions and blah 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 but the manager's going to ask you questions at the football club isn't he the manager's going to say okay what's the budget going to be what is your um academy like what are, you know what is your ability to bring players through to me what are your facilities like and what are you as owners going to do to you know furnish me with everything i need to succeed in you know next five to ten years and just going back to you know Thomas and Bauer, we don't know what their plan is. And I think, yeah, I think there needs some clarity on that, Martin. What do you think to that point? Uh, I, th- I think it's an excellent point. I just I just hark back to James. He just said everything I think about the current managerial situation and that I, I perfectly, perfectly put. But I do think if, if they were to move on, the interview process is a two-way thing. It's us saying, well, do we want you to come in? And it's someone saying, well, you know, because as a manager, you know, managers are judged on all we know about managers really is what they've done at the clubs, the results and outcomes that they've got. So, you know, we think someone's a good manager, won a lot of games, we think someone's a poor manager because they've lost a lot of games. And, and actually it's a lot more complex than that. But managers don't want losing seasons on their CVs. They don't want relegations yeah. on their CVs. So, yeah, I mean, I think if if we were to, to move on at some point, I'd love to get the Cowleys in. My, my family are all up in, up in Lincoln and the buzz around that club it was what it was wilder-esque for you know a, a few years un, under the Cowleys and they, they moved on didn't work out at Huddersfield I'm sure every club outside of the top two divisions and probably quite a few in the championship if they make a change they're one of the name the sets of names on their shortlist it's I think at some point, you do have to you do have to move move on. I mean, our recruitment, as people have said, have not has not been so great, you know. That, but I think James's point about we need to see some flexibility 
is is hugely important because ultimately I'm not a fan of sacking managers. I like Keith Curl. I think compared to the dross that came in before him, I think he's try he's he's done a really good really good job. We're just in a really sticky patch at the moment. But if it is just no, you know, if if the answer, what you know, what what are we going to do to ch- turn things around? Is well, we'll do more of the same. Then at some yeah. point, you know, you do have to do something different. You know, I, th- ob- I think the obvious thing is to go to four at the back. Although seeing the the Horlicks at three centre hours, maybe maybe two of them would confuse each other, each other. But also to unleash, you, you look at our best player, you know, our best players. You know, Hoskins. To be fair. He, I think he's been outstanding this season. He's probably been a little bit better every season he's been here, and he's one of the few that I think Zayden made point longest serving player and has developed as part of the club. But Nicky Adams is a shadow of himself, and I think I made the point a few weeks ago that actually did Adams look fantastic as a wing back because he had three great centre halves, and it didn't really matter if he caught, got caught up the field. Whereas now we're up against better players, but also. Our centre halves would just reduce me if I were a goalkeeper or a wing back to a, to a quivering wreck. That's almost <laughs> making Adams play within himself. I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Whereas I agree. you switch to a four four two, then suddenly you start thinking, okay, well, three from Adams, Marshall, and Hoskins in those wide positions. You know, Smith. I I, mean, I think Smith has actually he's come in for some unfair criticism. I think he's won an awful lot in the air this. This year, it's just he's winning it in the air and he's sort of isolated. Yeah, you know, I think you have him and say Rose down the middle or one of one of the young forwards, and you start getting crosses raining in. You know, it it, it can't be worse than what we're doing at the moment, and I think yeah. that for me is the test for Curl. It may not be, you know, do the results, you know, dramatically improve? Have we got the flexibility, that the braveness to say right? I accept this isn't working, but I'm going to do something different. Yeah. So the only thing he can really change, apart from maybe bringing in a couple of people, non-contract players or out-of-contract players to kind of change it, which often can be a help. It's, you know, it's trying to do different stuff with the same, with the same personnel. Yeah, true. Um, but, you know, when you change your manager, sometimes you, you do have that sort of... Um, Bounce. The bounce, a new manager bounce, and also other managers have other have tactical ideas and perhaps get these players playing a little bit of football. Um, I said it last week, and you know, I'll stick with it now that I think the best investment is is again off the pitch and the processes off the pitch. So I think that instead of you know just saying let's sack Curl and get another manager off the you know merry go round, um, I, I really think that the club is lacking a technical director, sporting director, call it what you want, like Plymouth have, have brought in and various other clubs to tie everything together in, in terms of the football oper- operation so that when you do sack a manager, it all doesn't fall away. Because I've said before that if Keith Gale gets sacked, you lose him, you lose the goal, his, the people that he's appointed, his friends, his, you know, the, I think the scout, I think, is uh, attached to him. And that is problematic. Cobblers always do that. So if you had a, a technical director in that says, right, when the manager goes, it won't be too much of an upheaval. We're going to have a consistent style of play. We're going to, you know, have a uniform style of play throughout the all the youth teams. And um, I'd be looking at someone like John Brady for that. We said that last week. I think he, he's got an absolute great knowledge of the academy as well. And if you just had him sitting there at the top of the club, you it doesn't have to, you know, interfere with the manager at all, but they just need to liaise together. And then if you add someone like, I don't think Danny Cowley is realistic or Paul Cook. Looking at those names I talked about earlier, I think the longer people out of work, people like Paul Tisdale will be interested. I think Keith Hill possibly be interested. Sol Campbell even at a stretch. If by this time next year you add a technical director in place, someone like John Brady or someone else, and someone like, let's just say Keith Hill, because I'm a fan of him. If you had those two in place, by the start of next year, you could say, right, the processes are, are, are smart. You know, that's pretty much all you can do. So I'm concerned about sacking managers for sacking managers' sake and just replacing with, you know, someone else. And I think that's you're where we're You're almost fixing the wrong problem, aren't you, by sacking the manager? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that would be a smart sort of change for me, but we'll see how it goes. I'm just going to read out a couple of the tweets we've had because um, I put it out there, you know, that um, those three points about our manager's going to want to come to Northampton, can the club to uh, afford to dispense with Cal services and could they do a job with the team Cal has produced? So, you know, personally, I think that 
pretty much all the names I've mentioned would be able to do a job with the players that um, Keith Carroll has put together because I think we actually got some reasonable players. So that's for me, that's an okay one. Whether you can attract them down to Northampton because we are a footballing backwater, really. You know, who wants to really come to Northampton? You know, you really need to move down here and have knowledge of the local scene. So a bit more of a difficult one. But um, Potato of Death has got a brilliant uh, <laughs> Twitter handle. I don't know what Potato of Death is. It sounds like a really uh, third rate uh, metal, heavy metal band. But um, he said that uh, he'd say yes to number one. So um, that managers would come down to Northampton. And number three, that they would be able to, you know, get a tune out of Kel's players. But he says that number two, um, the the cost aspect of it is, is too much. So it makes the other points irrelevant. So he's saying basically we can't afford to uh, sack Kel, which is a reasonable, you know, some some summary of it. And especially with COVID. So he put he's, he's written, when you look at our injury list and the quality of most of the players, I don't think the squad is a problem. Either the dressing room has problems or... Uh, Keith Carroll generally can't get it right, so that's a that's a fair point. Um, Tim Stibbard on Twitter said he'd say Cook, Tisdale, and Hill would all tick number one, so they would come to Northampton. And number three, and he said that number two in terms of the costs is down to the chairman. So you know he's saying that Paul Cook, uh, Tisdale, and Keith Hill would all come down. You know they're all they're three good names. George Weir's cousin, who's a big Twitter guy, <laughs> but I did and said um, basically Paul Cook has very much top half of the championship aspiration, so he wouldn't come to Northampton. But I, uh, I said so did Northampton too, so <laughs> we've got those aspirations as well. Um, Paul Hardman's said that yes, we'd get a few, you know, managers down interested in the job, but can't really afford it. Uh, Aaron on Twitter, Deadly Dan Juma, said that Cowley or Graham Alexander would be interested, but I don't think Cowley would come here. James, do you know much about Graham's Alex- Graham Alexander? I went to Salford, didn't he? But he's um, a useful sort of name. Do you reckon we could attract him to Northampton? Um, well, he's just been sacked, hasn't he, by Salford? Yeah, yeah. So he'd be free. But do you reckon we could attra- attract him to Northampton if it, you know, the I, I don't think, I mean, I don't want to go kind of like go down the route of, discussing who should replace a manager that's still here yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's be that. here. what i will say is I, I don't think we should have any problem if it gets to that stage of of attracting um a manager you know uh, we're in a good location um which you know is is like any job i guess uh, you know uh, a tipping point um we, you know we're a league one club we're a decent sized club in terms of league one and league two so I don't think we would have any problems uh, attracting a, a manager at all, really. Um, you know, we, we've drawn some big names in in the past. You know, A.D. Boothroyd, Gary Johnson were all, I know they didn't end up well, but were kind of quite seen as coups, you know, for us to, to get them. Um, Hasselbank as well. Um, so... I don't think we'd have any problem uh, attracting. The, the difficulty with with it is, is that it, there's no science behind it, really. I, I do. It, it, they're just luck does seem to have a a big impact with it because you look at the likes of Gary Johnson, where he's he's managed so well at some clubs, but here he was an unmitigated disaster. And then you look at Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, who did a you know a, a good job at Burton. Okay, I know he was picking up you know from from a good Gary route score but had the sense to leave things as they were didn't try and change things but again here was you know didn't didn't come up to scratch so that there's no there's no real science behind it it, it does seem to be some managers fit certain clubs and you know uh, it, it, you know you can get a rough idea with what you want from a chairman but I have to say we were all a little bit underwhelmed with Chris Wilder and absolutely delighted with Gary Johnson and look at how they respectively turned out what a brilliant point. That That is well worth bearing in mind over the next few months and years. And yeah. I, I, ultimately, I don't want Curl to get sacked. I want him to improve us. I want, I, you know, yeah. for me, he was going to be the manager that we were going to stick with for a while. Everything yeah. about his kind of managerial history seemed to indicate that. So I thought, this is the guy, OK, we're probably not going to challenge League One, but he could establish us there. And he, in fact, he still could. But he, he needs to get his act together and, and, you know, start 
being a bit more flexible because his stubbornness, as we've seen with other managers at the Cobblers, they stubbornly keep going down a route that doesn't work. It ends up costing them. And I don't want Keith to be the latest manager that falls victim of that. Yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap up, actually, James. I think that's a, a very fair summary. I think that Keith Carl, a lot, he has respect to fans, I think, and we can't forget the amazing promotion. It, no matter how it was done, whether it was a smash and grab or not, it was, it was, it was a good promotion. It was a good side, and he's got a lot going for him. I just think that, yeah, that you're right. That It's a results game, isn't it? And people can see that we're not playing any in any cohesive way. So we can witter on as much as we want. It's down to him now to produce the results, isn't it? And it's his players that he's brought in. And we might have our view either way, but it's going to be those next two games, as you said. Burton Albion, I think, is the next one. They've had a bit of a problems off the field, I think. I don't know if they've had a bit of a COVID problem, but they're, they're winnable games. But no one really wants... I don't see any sort of real appetite for a another manager sacking but at the same time like I said we are at a bit of a crossroads and we do need to work out where we want to be as a football club and what sort of football we want to you know really pay to watch and that is what you know ultimately the club owners and Keith Carl has to sort out but it's been a really interesting chat guys and thanks for joining me and um, hopefully we'll talk again next week after the Burton game and we'll you know, see the fat again but thanks a lot speak to you later Great cheers, cheers, cheers guys take it easy Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello Fresh. 